Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. It's great to be back. We've had some amazing guests on. And as always, I love hearing from so many of you about how the Soul Talk podcast is inspiring you, transforming your lives. And I love hearing some of the breakthroughs insight and the impact it's having on your life specifically. Today's uh, episode is going to be another special one. I've uh, managed to get one of my friends on today. He is a resilience expert. He's a best-selling author of Courageous Living and a few other great books. And, you know, every time I get to be with this man, I'm inspired just by his sincerity, his authenticity. I mean, uh, media outlets like CNN, PBS, uh, regularly call upon him for guidance to navigate challenging times. Uh, he's just uh, an amazing human being. He actually, I'm reading here that he is actually the recipient of a Distinguished Contribution to Psychology Award and has spent the last 40 years helping people become uh, better versions of themselves. And today we're going to dive in with Dr. Ken Druck. Ken, welcome. So good to be with you. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your living room with me. Thanks for coming on, man. I've been really lo- looking forward to it tremendously. And so, look, I'm reading here 40 years. I, 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 that I actually didn't know. 40 years you've been uh, transforming lives and in this field. And so I'm just curious, just especially for those that may not know of your background. I mean, I have many other questions for you, but those that may not know about your background, I'm curious myself how... How did you get started in this field of psychology and coaching and, you know, transforming lives? What was the beginning point and, and kind of what brought you to this moment where you're doing what, you've, what you're doing for the last 40 years? You know, it's such an interesting question. I, all of us can look at our lives and look at the earliest origins of, of who we are. You know, I can, I can remember, I have these remote memories of being a little kid and walking into the room and there was so much going on with all the people in the room you know i when i was a little kid we were just coming out of the holocaust years you know thousands the million literally millions of people had been exterminated and some of them had been relatives of mine so i was part of the first generation of Jews that came over, whose parents came over from Europe and were trying to form some sense of security and identity in this country. So I would walk into the room as a little kid and there was all this energy going on. And I, for my own survival, I had to tune into it. So when I think about the origins of my work and what it means to walk into a room and have a sense 
of what's going on in the lives and hearts of other people, that's where it started for me. And it the journey has continued for my entire life. I turn 70 in a few weeks. And when I think wow. about all these decades of life and all these seasons of life, all these chapters of life, you know, I think about marching in the civil rights movement, marching on Washington, uh, standing with mm. Martin Luther King, the civil rights movement in this country, uh, the movement in this country for women to, who are awakening and realizing, my God, we, we have to change who we are from the inside out, how we see ourselves, and, and in so doing, we'll change the world. And I was interested in, okay, what about us guys? And I wrote mm. my doctoral thesis uh, on the psychology of men, and I wrote my mm. first best-selling book called The Secrets Men Keep in the early 1980s, went on Oprah when she had big hair and I had big hair. It was Oprah's first yeah. national show. And started in the late 70s, something I, I had been working as a psychologist with leaders in business and government. And I none of them wanted the stigma that they were in therapy. So we started doing something called coaching. And I said, hey, you had a coach in high school, right? Yeah, I can do coaching. Plus, I can run the bill for my business, you know, because you're talking to me about my leadership. So those are some of the other origins of my work in in transformational psychology. Wow, I love it. I love it. You don't kill this. What you've been through a lot of change yourself. You help people change or let's say transform. What's one of the things or what what do you feel and what have you observed stops people, blocks people from transforming? Because I think many times people say, I really want to shift this. Maybe it's a pattern, a way of being, uh, a way of thinking, an addiction, or some area of their life, and they really, yeah. at least they say they want to. And so what stops people from transforming, and what's, what are some of the first steps someone can take to actually making a shift in any area of their life? Well, I think the big killers or inhibitors of change and of opportunity the opportunities that are showing up in all of our lives literally every day what, what prevents us or stands in the way from our taking advantage of them is fear shame guilt a sense of or on the other side a sense of arrogance and entitlement and those are the the big inhibitors that hold us back from making the kinds of seasonal changes and momentary changes and opportunity and changes in who we are and becoming that better version of ourselves and settling for the scared, the paralyzed by fear, the arrogant covering insecurities version of ourselves. So the fear, fear, shame, guilt, entitlement, arrogance. And so let's say someone is stuck in that place of, of fear. They know they need to change something or they know they need to make a shift in some area. Yeah. Um, how, do they, how does someone start? You know, because it, it, is, it is scary when I think we get comfortable. Uh, yeah. Maybe we get, we get used to something or we get comfortable or we, get, or we feel stuck. I mean, is there, is there a first place to start to begin, yeah. let's say, moving through fear? Yeah, I think the first step is just to say, I'm scared or I'm mm. sad. 
Mm-hmm. It's the acknowledgement mm-hmm. of the truth. It's just yes. saying, you know what? I'm. Sometimes we have to just own up to the fact that we are defenseless from our mm-hmm. own or against our own fear, defenseless mm-hmm. against the sorrow or the wounds that we feel or the, you know, the inhibitions or the, the anxieties that there are some things that just hold us back. And I think acknowledging the truth about that is the first mm-hmm. step is taking ownership and saying, Hey, I've got a challenge. And on the other side of that challenge, I have an opportunity to truly become the better version of myself. How am I going to summon? And the operative word here is summon because it's the, mm-hmm. it's the act of creation within us to summon newfound strength, courage, faith, mm-hmm. understanding, self-compassion, patience, kindness, uh, willfulness, and to put together and, and to summon that, we, that's how mm-hmm. we evolve, that's how we create the better version of ourselves. And it's pulling mm-hmm. that up, it's having the faith, and it's pulling it up from somewhere deep inside of us. And often it's ha- it happens one deep breath at a time, one mm-hmm. moment of humility and apology or ownership or acknowledgement or admission, one moment of courage at a time. It's not doesn't have to be huge steps. What keeps us down is we imagine, mm-hmm. we use our imagination, and we imagine yes. that we have to do something earth-shattering and, and transformative right. all at once rather than taking mm-hmm. that first step and walking to the corner or getting outside mm-hmm. of our house or telling somebody we love them or asking for somebody's forgiveness or saying something to somebody in a direct, forthright way, in a tone that they will want to listen, learn from us, connect with us, and and mm-hmm. lear- and doing that, taking that first step. Mm, got it. And so, so you call yourself a resilience expert, Ken. What what does the yeah. word resilience mean to you when you say resilience? Well, the first the first thing that that people when people hear the word resilience, they think about bouncing back. Yes. And the word bouncing um, has been abused. The only other word that has been abused more than bouncing is the word positive, that we, we launch judgments about what's positive or what's negative. And we talk about bouncing, that people should just get over it, get on with it, put a spin on it, rather than honoring and acknowledging that we are a work in progress and that change is one breath at a time change occurs it's a it's a process and it's a process of our creating that better version of ourselves over time across fears and things that have helped us held us back and at the core of it all is self compassion so when we look at what is resilience it starts with resilience is first of all our hands on our own hearts self compassionately it's it's us not kicking ourselves it's us taking our foot off of our own throat where we've been mm. admonishing criticizing harshly 
beating ourselves up, bullying ourselves, pressuring ourselves, admonishing ourselves for not being positive enough or too negative or yes. when really when we talk about in our critical voice about not being about being negative, often we're just simply acknowledging that there's a part of us that is very young and needs more love and support and clarity and understanding and courage and that we need to work with that part of ourselves, not judge it. So resilience in its deepest, truest form begins with self-compassion. It, it involves courage, summoning that newfound courage. You know, every season of life, you know, I, I invite everybody who's listening to think about all the seasons of, of their lives. But, you know, maybe it's if taking your first job. Maybe it's taking that first step into college. Maybe it's taking that first step into asking somebody to spend their life with you or committing in a relationship. Maybe it's a job or a career, a graduate school, uh, a, a step up in, in your entrepreneurship. Whatever, and maybe it's becoming a father or a mother. Maybe it's dealing with the first significant loss in our lives and the grief, the, the, the choiceless, inescapable sorrow that we sometimes feel. So whatever it is, whatever adversity we think about, it, it happens in every season of life. Every season of life will present us with challenges. And sometimes it's simply the, you know, the challenge of getting older, of our passage through time and dealing with looking at the clock and saying, oh, my God, when did that happen? How did I get how did I get to the point where I'm turning 70 in 2 weeks? When did wow. that happen? And we deal with age as an adversity and all the invitations to diminish ourselves because we're getting older. It's like, "Oh my god, I'm aging out." You know, so all of these adversities require that we go into this creative, we pull from within ourselves the unrealized strength and courage and will, clarity honesty, humility that are required for us to put ourselves back in the game of life or to move forward yes. in the game of life and to embrace wow. embrace what's unfolding. Well, can I get so many questions? I mean, I want to talk about in a moment, I want to talk a bit about aging because I think that is a... Yeah. Uh, a big thing on someone on people's minds, uh, especially it, it, it's, not, it's unavoidable for most of us. Before I get to that, though, I really like, you know, the distinction you're talking about in terms of resilience, not just being bouncing back, you know, because I think as I was hearing you say that, I think sometimes bouncing back, uh, we can use that as a we, we can we can bounce back but still be disconnected, you know, and not really go through the process or allow our hearts to fully open to being transformed and feeling through an experience and all the emotions through an experience to be transformed and, and you could say uh, authentically come through the other side and i think as i'm hearing you really getting resilience uh, is not a disconnect or a bypass in any way it's really feeling through all the, the, the emotions and feelings being transformed by it you know and, and coming through which yes. leads to authenticity so i really you know, Beautifully as you're said. Listening, as you're listening to this conversation, 
to with uh, Dr. Ken Joach. It's a, it's a key thing because I think many times we use spirituality sometimes as a or positive thinking, you know, or law of attraction, and and and, and as a spiritual bypass. And so it's really key. Now you talked about self compassion, Ken. Uh, I think it's right on. Uh, but you know, I, I know there's going to be folks that are probably struggling. Like they they've read the book on self compassion, you know, ten steps to self compassion, but I think just because we understand the concept of being compassionate with ourselves doesn't mean we are. I think so many of us were so hard on ourselves constantly. Why didn't I do yeah. this? Why didn't I do that? What's wrong with me? How, how, does, you know, how does someone listening to this conversation move from the understanding of self-compassion to actually feeling it within themselves, within their own hearts? You know, how can someone make that shift within themselves Beautiful. to truly meet themselves? It's a beautiful question. It's a beautiful and loving question. And it is it is the secret sauce. It is the key. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the choice and the practice, the daily mm-hmm. practice. I, I have you know, I've been at this for a long time, the transformational work. I've been a work in progress in my own life for mm-hmm. seventy years. And there's not a day that goes by that I am not challenged that I don't have an invitation on the on the continuum from self-criticism to self-compassion to take that admonishing finger and, and wave it in my own face because things are not going to go as, always as planned and as hoped and as, as yes. I've worked towards. So how do I face that moment? What is my daily practice? Have I given myself the tool, and in my life, when I need to remind my, when I catch myself with my own foot on my throat, or that admonishing finger waving in my face, which is like being in a courtroom where there's only a prosecuting attorney, no no defense attorney, no jury, no judge, just the prosecutor producing evidence. Here's more evidence. Here's more evidence beating myself up, when I catch myself in that moment of harsh and unfair self-criticism, I put my hand on my own heart and I take a deep breath. And that is the way that I've trained myself to switch channels, to realize, what are you doing? What are you doing, this irrational beating yourself up, connecting these dots to convict yourself of something, to beat yourself up. You know, that's where the the whole thing you said about uh, negativity and how sometimes we don't honor ourselves as a work in progress. If if we haven't achieved it, it's like, what am I doing back here? You know, be feeling so criticized or feeling so insecure. Well, you know what? You're human. You're a human being. This is the ride. This is what we all go through. I don't care who you are. You know, I've had the honor in, in my years of standing with the Dalai Lama, with Mother Teresa, with you know, with extraordinary people, teachers, transformational leaders, teachers, um, people in our world who I've drawn so much wisdom and strength from, as has millions of other people. And every one of us has insecurities Every one of us is a work in progress. And the most evolved people 
are those who own it quickly and who've developed a practice to reel themselves in, to learn how to touch their hearts in their own way, in their own style, in their own soft, loving voice of self-compassion, and to bring themselves back to a place of kindness towards themselves, of, of non-judgment, of support, encouragement, clarity, honesty, humility, and, and, and in that mix of self-compassion, we become the resilient expression. We become the more evolved expression. We find ourselves emotionally freer and emotionally stronger than we were. And it's a practice. It's a practice. The key is it is a it's a practice. I think many times people think it's just like an event, you know. Take a weekend seminar, boom, that's it forever. And it's it's yep. the continual <laughs> inner relationship that that uh, that it requires us to be in with ourselves, with our hearts. And I, I see it many many times. Folks uh, maybe go to a motivational seminar. Sometimes uh, I see many people beating themselves up pretty harshly. Uh, as almost like as a motivational, uh, a way of motivating themselves and driving themselves to succeed. And what I found uh, is it, it, when we do that, even when we do achieve, it, it never leads to, to long lost, it never leads to peace, it never leads to, to sort of deep fulfillment. And so, folks, as you exactly. listen to this conversation, place your hand on your heart, bring compassion. You're a human being, having a human experience. We're here to learn and grow and evolve, and we're not going to do it perfectly, and we're not meant to. And so, bring some compassion. You know, can you talk and a kindness. bit about? Uh, and I, I love, kindness. I love what you're saying. Mm. And I, I do, could I, I do something at the end of every one of my workshops and seminars, and even speeches. I ask people, I tell people, look, if I've been successful. I've cracked the door. I've given you some connections to yourself, to your own heart, mm-hmm. to your own greater possibilities, to your own best possible future, to your own best possible self. But you're going to need to take that plant, that seedling, or whatever it is that's happened for you in this time and pour water on it and place it in the sunshine mm-hmm. every day and cultivate it and allow it to grow and flourish. And there are going to be rainy days and there are days that the sun won't come out and there are going to be dry spells. But this is the way of life. This is the way of personal transformation. And you haven't failed if you had a setback. You haven't failed. You've just had a setback. And it, that setback, use it as a gift to empower yourself and say, how did this happen? Where can I become stronger in the broken places, in the places that are young in me, in the places that haven't formed yet in me, yeah. instead of beating ourselves up and using it as evidence to prove some case or another? I love it. You know, and this, I think for me, 
Again, every time I'm around you, I feel, I just feel your heart. I feel your authenticity. And so folks, you know, this is a guy who, not just words, I, I think more than what Ken is saying, whenever, when I, whenever I'm around you, Ken, I actually, I just feel that quiet, real, uh, authentic, I guess we could call it resilience, you know, heart, uh, more than just what you say, even when we're around each other and we're not talking, it's just, I feel you. So I, I really feel this is something you're living and uh, it's real for you and, it, and, it's, and it's in your body. And I'm curious, based on that, I know you've been through some challenges in your life. Uh, you've dealt with loss. And I would love for you to talk about that if you'd be willing, you know, uh, dealing with loss, how you dealt with loss, what that was like, what, 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 what moved you through that loss, and how those listening in can, can deal with loss in their lives. Because as you said, as we get older, as a human being, we will deal with loss, loss of, you know, a parent, loss of a loved one, loss of a child. And so we'd love it if you'd be willing to share a bit about your I'd love to. loss. And, I'd love and to, but I want you, to start it. You it. I want to start it by just saying that I have the same feeling when I'm with you. You mm. are such a light. And it is such a joy, not just to sit and talk with you the way we're talking today, and to take that deep dive and share what we both are learning and what we both know, what we're both going through, but to play also. You are such a light, <laughs> and I've loved the time that we spent playing as well. So I, that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing around loss is we're we're touching a subject. We are our grief illiterate world mm. for the most part. Loss is the last thing that anybody wants to talk about. Whether we're talking about, oh my God, you mean life is a lease deal? I have to mm. I have to come to terms with the impermanence. I'm not always going to be here or my form is going to change. I'm going to lose this identity. Yeah. or whether we're experiencing loss in the sense of grieving the loss of our younger self mm. or or part of our past that we cherished, or whether we're grieving, we're watching our parents get older and we're grieving the loss of that younger parent who, you know, dad, when mm. dad was working or dad had his health or mom, you know, wasn't suffering from some of the things that she now has to... You know, when you get older, it's parts and service. You know, she's she's got some dents and, and broken parts and, and parts that aren't working so well that are wearing down. So loss and how we deal with grieving and loss is a core element of our resilience. And it also is a core defining element of our character. How we deal with loss, whether we kind of join the avoidant culture and the grief illiterate culture and say, look, let's just put a big spin on it. Anybody got a spin on this, you know, and, and, and we try to spin our way out of it or whether we try to do a bypass, we try to go under it, over it, get over it, get around it, do anything, but experience it when the only possible thing we can do to get to the other side is to go through it. Mm. 
So yeah. learning how to face into and acknowledge the losses and grieve the losses in our lives. And, you know, you, you asked me about my loss. You know, the biggest loss in my life, if, if you said, Ken, you, I heard you say you have a huge hole in your heart. Is that true? I'd say, yeah. I have a hole in my heart that will be there forever. Why is that hole there? Well, because my oldest daughter, Jenna, died at age 21 while studying abroad. She was in India. And if you were watching CNN over 20 years ago, you saw that a group of students were on a bus headed to the Taj Mahal and it flipped over. And one of those beautiful young women, of four young women that died, was my daughter. And it ripped a hole in my heart. And I, yes, I am somebody who walks with a limp in my heart. And how I have dealt with that loss from my moment of utter choiceless brokenness, I, my life was shattered. My daughter was a radiant, amazing young woman, voted one of America's future leaders at coming out of high school. Um, she was. She had infiltrated MTV to change the misogyny. She hit and successfully. She was working Radio City Music Hall, the MTV Beach House. You know, she was a remarkable, remarkable, soaring light. So, for my daughter's life to end at age 21, for it to be lost to her, and then for her life to be lost to me, was as about as devastating a thing as can, could have possibly happened to me. A loss of my own life would have been a gift compared to that. Mm. So how I have dealt with loss and what I've learned about loss, I've been able to share the whole idea of, of what it means to become grief literate. And I'd say there are five honorings when we've suffered a loss. You, can I go through them? Please. The first, the first honoring on this path of honor when we suffer a loss, is self is our own survival and self-care. The way we honor the person we've lost, those we've lost, is to survive, is to fight our way back into life through despair. Do we feel despair? Yeah. If you're like me, you might have a hole in your heart. You might have a wound that, that will always be there that you're going to have to navigate with and deal with. And that's just a part of your history. It sucks. You hate it. You wish it didn't happen. You would give anything to reverse it. But you can't find the, the role, the reverse. You can't find the flux capacitor. You can't find the rewind button, the time machine that will reverse it or undo it. So you get to live with it for now and try to understand the larger mystery within which all of these things happen the mystery of this life and death. The second honoring is to do something good in their name. That means we honor them by planting a tree, by lighting a candle. I was a maniac. I started a nonprofit foundation called the Jenna Druck Center, and we helped families whose children died. And we had a leadership program for girls that 18,000 girls went through that my daughter created when she was 15. So do something good in their name, something that says you love them by doing a goodness in the world. The third honoring mm -hmm. is to begin to develop a spirit.
spiritual relationship with them. Mm. What you wanted didn't happen. You were standing in the ashes of plan A. And the realm in which you, the love never dies is the realm that I call the spiritual realm. The love never dies. It's greater than the pain of having lost them. It's the love that I express every day of my life when I wake up and tell my daughter I love her or when I feel her hand on my cheek telling me she loves me. Okay, It's the love that never dies. It occurs in a spiritual realm. Do we know for sure and certain that it exists? No. We bet our faith. We, we decide, we make a choice that I'm going to hold that in, in, in faith and in belief that this, and, and in prayer, that this is the way the universe works. The fourth honoring is to embody some element of their spirit. My daughter was one of the most playful, fun, nutty, witty, lighthearted, wonderful human beings ever to walk this earth. And I aspire to embody those qualities every day by being the irreverent lunatic that I try to be, by being lighthearted, by being more playful, by smiling, by lightening my heart in all the ways that I'm learning to do that. And the last of the fifth honorings is the most difficult. And it means writing new chapters of life. It takes tremendous courage to write chapters of life when she won't be here to write them with me. But that I'm going to live out the rest of my days as an expression of my love and make use of my days by leaving the world a better place, by paying the good forward and planting trees that my kids, my grandkids, and future generations can sit in the shade of. Those are the five honorings, and that's, for me, the roadmap for how we deal with the grief that we all naturally feel, how we deal with the brokenness that we never need to be ashamed of, but that unfortunately too many of us hide in shame because our brokenness is the key to our wholeness again. Our brokenness is the key to our wholeness. And so part of what I'm hearing you say, I mean, correct me if I'm inaccurate, is I think so many people are ashamed that they're feeling a certain way or still feeling a certain way five years, ten years, you know, I've could have worked on myself and I still feel this this hole. And so are you saying that if someone dies that they love, they may always feel that? Like if someone's daughter or or son or they they, they might always feel that hole in their heart. Is that what you're saying? I mean it it doesn't have to go away. It doesn't you know what? It's the price we pay for keeping love alive. Yeah. And we want to make sure that we keep the love alive in, in a healthy way. You know, when, I, when, when I've dealt with, you know, I had the honor of, of coordinating bereavement for thousands of people after 9-11, after Sandy Hook, after the kids were killed there, and many of the tragedies around the world. And I always ask the parents of the bereaved parents, I say, I'm going to give you two forms to sign. One of them is says, I will stop my pain. I will end the pain by by winding down my loving feelings for my child. 
and I say, you want to sign here? Or you can sign this one that says, I will never, I will love my child fiercely every day of the rest of my life, even if it causes me moments of tidal waves of sorrow that, that roll in every once in a while. And of course, they're going to sign the second paper that says, if that's the price, if that's the price, and and I never need to shame, you know, so many of how are you doing, people will ask. Does it get better? And I say, you know what? It never gets better. It gets different. There are things in this life that don't get better. They get different. And it should never be an excuse for you not living out the rest of your days, for you not going on and writing new chapters of life, beautiful new chapters of life, for you not taking the path of honoring your loss and honoring the brokenness, the woundedness that you carry inside that you never need to be ashamed of. You know, we look at why are so many people coming back from war zones, you know, our soldiers and military and committing suicide? Why did so many people in my era who came back from Vietnam take their own lives or become self-destructive? And the answer is shame. They never... They were they were crippled by their own feeling of shame about how deeply impacted they were by what they had experienced in those war zones. And they never really had the, the freedom, the support, and the safety to cry out and to say what it was and to understand that it would be a part of them, that they had to learn how to regulate, to manage, to care for from a place of self-compassion, not of shame. I love it. Uh, lots of lo- lots to digest, folks. You know, and I'm also hearing that we, we can have the pain. We can also, you know, open and continue the loving. And the pain and the love can coexist. And, uh, and we can still live fully in our lives and thrive despite the pain and uh, they're not mutually exclusive so it's beautiful it's really beautiful yeah and making the pain you know my pain my pain is not my enemy anymore Mm. it's like my pain my pain shows up you know i'll be walking behind a, a beautiful young woman with who has the same hair as my daughter my daughter mm. jenna and mm. it'll evoke tears it will trigger me mm. And I, I'm not ashamed of that pain. Of course it does. How could I not feel sad that she didn't get to live out this life? That she didn't get to, you know, go through all the joys, the miracles, the challenges, the triumphs, the mysteries of this life. How could I not feel sad? So I just allow it and I and it passes through me. And an hour or two later there's there's a good chance I'm singing and dancing <laughs> and going on a hike in the mountains and taking her with me. And the love is bigger than the pain. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when we suppress the pain, Ken, I think when we suppress it and we disconnect from it, we also close down our heart's capacity yes. to feel the love and the joy exactly. on the other side as well. That's the price. And, and so the debt comes due. We become the dumbed-down yes. version of ourselves. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, we wonder, why can't I be more loving? Why can't I, mm-hmm. am, am I not more capable of receiving love? And we become the dumbed-down version. And sometimes we just need to give ourselves a season of allowing the sorrow that's real, that lives inside of us, and give it, give it a voice, give it expression, give it sound, allow it to come out in a healthy and good way, rather than embedding it, hiding it, denying it, suppressing it, avoiding it, meticulously commanding all this energy to keep it in, in, the, in the basement. Part of the seasoning of the human experience. It is. Uh, you know, I want to talk a bit about that uh, real quick. You mentioned aging is connected to loss. Um, you're seven years old. Uh, every time I meet two you, weeks. Kind of in two weeks. Whatever two weeks. that means. Happy birthday, folks. <laughs> folks, I want you all, if you're listening to this, I want you all to wish Ken Druck a happy birthday. Seriously. Uh, well, I'm glad you made it to 70, and I have no doubt that uh, many people have been blessed. Uh, and I'm curious about aging and how you view it. Sometimes, you know, we can view it as a loss of youth, a loss of something. And so I think in our culture today, perhaps even America, I mean, you know, I live in Los Angeles, which is the, 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 the emphasis on youth and physical beauty is so intense. And many times we're so identified with our youth and physical beauty and wrinkles. And, oh, my God, what does that mean? And a validation wrapped up into, into being 25 and looking a certain way. And so how, do you, how did you navigate and how can someone listening to this conversation navigate uh, gracefully the process of aging in a way that, uh, just in a way that is, is authentic and powerful, because I see so many people struggling with aging and getting older yes. and getting more wrinkles and the body not quite being what it used to do. And, and there's a lot of people that are in, in a lot of uh, anxiety and stress about it. And so just what are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's the next revolution. Um, mm. Is the revolution in the way we hold aging in the way we treat ourselves as we progress on this passage through time. And I think there's, we're on the verge of a, of a greater awakening uh, as, as we get older, that we have bought into all of this bias, all of this wave of discrimination, of thoughts and judgments about getting older, and really judgments about the whole process of life. You know, we live in a culture that teaches us there's a pill for every pain, a diversion for yeah. every moment of emptiness, you know, uh, and, and you know, the, the reality is that we, life is as it is. Life has its own terms. We can set terms and we can create our lives and we can do so many things. But life has its own terms, and we've got to work with that. So for me, it's you know the reason that I wrote uh, the courage. Thank God, the courageous aging book. I was on CNN last year when the book came out, and Don Lemon said, "Oh my God, I've got to read this book," and he held it up for like five, ten seconds, and it jumped on the bestseller list. There's a PBS mm-hmm. special coming out next month 
We did a PBS special called Courageous Aging. And the book uh, has, has remained on the Amazon list. We have a personal journal. We have the audio book and all that. And the reason it is doing so well is that it's speaking to all of these issues of aging. It's helping people see that they've opted in to all the old school, the old school thoughts about what it means to get older. And they're opting into reimagining their best years ever as the years to come. And mm. and grieving, going through that by grieving the loss mm. of their younger self. There's nothing wrong with grieving that. Yeah. It's like, hey, I used to do this, or I can get nostalgic about what happened. Hey, I went to Woodstock. Mm. Great time. Mm. Great time. You know, or this happened, or that happened, or but but for me, the emotional freedom that is now accessible as I get older, that I've earned, that I've fought for, that I've worked hard for, the spiritual freedom, the, the intimacy and a capacity to have deep connection with other special people that I, that I want to be close to, to connect to my own family, to be connected to my own heart, are the things that in me have gotten better with age. It's the ripening that I've experienced. And I encourage people to, to know that, yes, we are on a lease deal. Yes, you are going to get older. You're physically going to change. Um, some things are going to happen. You know, hopefully you will have a long and healthy and illustrious life and a beautiful journey. But, but how you deal with the adversities and the adversity of getting older, and eventually the adversity of coming to terms with your own impermanence and realizing that we're part of something much greater than our own lifespan, that those the, the work that we have as we get older changes. It's the newfound courage we find to face each season of life. And, it, and if you're turning 40, that's one season or 50 or 60 or 70 like me or 80 or 90 or 100. There are new challenges for you to face. But on the other side of facing those challenges are tremendous benefits, rewards, freedoms, knowing, deep knowing, and peace. And uh, But though all those things have to be cultivated by you, and it's never too early to start doing it. Nice. You don't I have to it. wait until you're I 70. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to wait until you're 80. Fine. And, oh, I better, I better deal with it now. And I think I think you're right. If we start cultivating it at each stage, even 20, 25, 30, then we're exactly. then, then when we reach 70 and 80 and 90, and then the moment of death, or at least passing in this physical body, is present. I think we'll be really prepared and ready for that process. Exactly. A lot of people who are now 35, 40, 45, whatever, 50, are cultivating these this freedom by really engaging their relationship with their aging parents. Instead of yes. running away from their aging parents and judging their aging parents or being afraid of what they see happening and, and being distanced by that fear, they are facing into the issues that are arising with their aging parents, including 
aging parents in business. I work with several family businesses where the succession planning, you know, where this is such an alive issue in the succession planning that that's going on in the company. How do we transition and how do we embrace the season of life that it is for our parents? How do we embrace it with support, love, compassion, and courage? Because it's sometimes sad to watch your mom or dad get older. And and uh, so it's, it, it's a very important conversation. It's an important thing for all of us to stay present in the middle of. Beautiful. So much to think about, Ken. So much to uh, feel into, think about, be open to, and just let digest from our conversation today. And, you know, I feel like we're just getting started and we could talk forever. Um, but I would like to, just for sake of time, uh, I'd, I'd like to ask you maybe one final main question uh, that I'd love for you to share with those listening in. And, you know, you've lived a lot of life. You've, you've been through many seasons of life and had many experiences during those seasons, some of which you shared. And there's a lot you've shared in this conversation already. But if there were, let's say, based on your experience, if there were three major or main key life lessons that you've learned, the most important one that you would, you know, pass on to the next generation, your kids, your grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what were the three most important lessons or three key lessons at least that you've learned in your life be that you would like to pass on to the next generation? Thank you for that, listening? that wonderful question. The first thing I would say is mastering self-compassion. Mm. That learning to place your hand on your own heart with kindness and letting all the self-criticism and judgment fall away and choosing instead to be compassionate and kind and patient and encouraging with oneself. The second thing is humility. Arrogance is just something that covers insecurity. And I think humility is a path and a doorway to deep connection with other people. It grows out of self-compassion, accepting that I'm a work in progress, that I'm learning, that I make mistakes, um, that I'm human. And the third thing is to keep the big picture in mind, that we are not only a family of, in this generation, that we are the people of each other's time, but we are the people of past times and of future times, and that our actions in this world will either detract or deplete from future generations, or we will plant that giving tree for our grandchildren, our kids, our future generations, that they can sit in the shade of and that the sun will come through. And they will have the same opportunities that we've been gifted the blessings and opportunities that so many of us have and that we, we, we can hold in gratitude, in deep gratitude. And I would say those are the three things that I would pass on. I love it. Self-compassion, humility, the big picture. Folks, you heard it from Ken Druck, Dr. Ken Druck, also of Courageous Aging, Courageous Living, amazing stuff. Uh, what's the best way people can find out about you and, and your work, Ken? 
Well, you know, go to go to KenDruck.com. They can go to KenDruck.com. My website has all kinds of ways of getting in touch with me or finding out or seeing videos or PBS specials and and schedules about workshops and things that I'm doing. So www.kendruck.com. And they can also go on my Dr. Ken Druck Facebook page. I have regular articles and things that, that I share, and that's another pathway. Or they can contact uh, my offices directly. Uh, www.kendruck.com. Uh, yep. Go there, check out Ken's work. Your phone number's on your website. Is that correct, Ken? It's on the website, yep. And uh, they can just oh. go on and, and call my office, and uh, we'd be glad to take a call from them. Fantastic. I want to just encourage everyone to really uh, explore Ken's website. We'll post it in the show notes, uh, get Ken's book. I'm excited, actually. I have your book on my shelf to read Courageous Aging. And uh, it's been an amazing conversation, Ken. I really want to thank you for just joining and being a part of, of Soul Talk today, sharing your soul, folks. I also told you this was going to be a special conversation. I hope your heart is full and you're digesting, please send me an email, Coop Blackson at coopblackson.com. Let me know your key takeaways from today. Uh, We'd love to hear how the conversation with Dr. Ken Druck has touched your life. And I look forward to, uh, look forward to, to connecting with you all in the next episode of Soul Talk. Because everyone, much love. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.